Good morning. 17 days to go. So, Advent, we're working through um, some material that's based on, loosely based on, material that we've got from Life Church in Oklahoma. Come to worship. Um, and over these four weeks of Advent, we are looking at how we worship. Last week, Josh started us off with the theme of lift your hands. What really struck me about that was when he talked about the fact that there are two times that people lift their hands in in general life. Yes, One would be in surrender. Yes, you lift your hands up to show submission. And the other is in victory. Maybe if your team scored five against Burnley yesterday, you might <laughs> lift your hands in celebration. Um, surrender and celebration. In a way, they seem to be two opposites. But when we lift our hands in worship, we are surrendering our lives to Christ. But in the very act of surrendering to Christ, we are able to join in the celebration of the victory that Christ has brought us. And I thought that image of lifting our hands being surrender and celebration was fantastic. Um, I know Josh mentioned that afterwards he noticed that there were more people raising their hands in worship last week, which was, was great to see, but that was last week's starter. Over the coming weeks, we're looking at pouring out your heart and bowing your knees. But the theme I was given for today is bring your gifts. Now, I grew up in a a Methodist church and down to Charles Wesley and all his hymn writing. The Methodists are known for singing their theology. And um, growing up, I had a minister who was very keen that uh, everything we sung was theologically accurate. And so when it came to this time of year, there were a couple of carols that we weren't allowed to sing. One was Away in a Manger. It contains the line, no crying he made. And the minister said, that's wrong. Jesus was a fully human baby. He would have cried just like any other baby. To say that he didn't cry is to imply that he wasn't fully human. So we weren't allowed to sing Away in a Manger. And the other one we weren't allowed to sing was We Three Kings of Orientar. And there's loads that's wrong with that. For starters, there weren't three of them. Yes, there were three gifts, not three givers. Now, it doesn't say there weren't three givers, so maybe there were. We don't know, but if it was just that, we might have got away with it. But that was just one thing he didn't like it. They weren't kings. They were magi. They were astrologers, fortune tellers. Yes, he wasn't keen on the term wise men, but definitely not kings. And then also, it talks about from Orientar. Now, technically, Orient just means the East. But generally, if you're talking about someone being Oriental, we think of that as being Far Eastern, of being Chinese. Whereas, as Magi, they were probably from Persia, rather than from the Orient. 
So he really didn't like We Three Kings and we definitely weren't allowed to sing that. The thing is, a lot of the imagery that gets um, associated with the Three Kings um, is probably wrong or it's certainly not come out of the Bible. I was in town looking at Christmas cards and what I noticed is when you do see cards with the three king or the magi or however you want to describe them on, all the cards fall into one of two categories. You either see them riding in camels across the desert, or there's no mention of camels in the Bible, or you see them at the stable with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. They weren't at the stable with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, because they were 900 miles away. They didn't have a plane or train or cars. They had to, I mean, maybe they rode on a camel, but they even if they rode on a camel, they wouldn't have come any faster than walking pace because they'd have had servants who were walking, who weren't riding camels. How long does it take to get 900 miles? For us, imagine you had to walk to Slovakia. Yes? How long is that going to take you? It's going to take... Weeks at least, probably months even. It would be a long time after that they would have arrived to worship. We do know that they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, and that's generally associated with gold being for a king, and frankincense being for a priest, and the myrrh is to symbolise that Jesus would die but it doesn't actually tell us that in the Bible. All it tells us is they came to worship. It tells us that twice, just in case you miss it the first time. In verse 2, when they're talking to Herod, it says, we have come to worship him. And then again, in verse 10, it says, we saw the star. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child and they bowed down and worshipped him. Yes, the one thing we do definitely know is that they came to worship. They came to worship the Christ child. Although they didn't know necessarily that he was the Christ child. Today, we know the end of the story. Today, we know that this babe would grow up to become Jesus, the man. The man who would preach and teach. The man who would die on the cross and rise again to defeat death, to bring us salvation. But these magi didn't know anything about that. That's not why they were worshipping him. They came to worship him just for who he was and not for what he'd done. We do that. We need to do that too. We need to worship him purely for who he is, as well as giving thanks to him for what he has done. 
Some of you will know that this week is Esther's birthday coming up and I will be getting her a present. Um, but it's not for what she's done. She is a wonderful woman and she has done many amazing things for me. And there are times when I want to thank her for what she's done and I might give her a chocolates or something to say thank you for what she's done. But that's different from what I'm going to do this week when I give her a present. That is simply giving it to her for who she is. When we worship God, yes, we should give thanks for what he's done, but we should also worship him purely for who he is. We also see that they weren't reluctant in doing it. They were enthralled. They were really looking forward to it. They were really in wanting to do it. The New International Version that we read says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. A more literal translation of that would be that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Yes, not just rejoiced exceedingly, not just with great joy, but they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And the Greek word that's great is actually megas, yes, that we get mega from. Yeah, they were mega joyed. That's how joyful they were about the opportunity to come and worship. Are we mega joyed to be here this morning? Are we mega joyed for the opportunity to come and worship. So we know that they were mega joyed to come and worship and that that worship included giving of gifts. They weren't giving gifts because the babe needed them. They weren't giving gifts because God needs them. God has everything he needs. God needs nothing from us. But he loves the gifts that we give him. They also weren't giving to get anything in return. There is a danger with the verse from Proverbs that some people have misinterpreted down the years because it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine if you bring your first fruits. And some people have misinterpreted that that as saying, well, if I give God a little bit, I'm going to get loads back. That's not what it's saying. We're not giving to get in return. We're giving gifts to worship. Giving gifts to show our love. We're giving gifts to follow the example that God has given us because he gave us gifts first. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave. Or Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us by giving us. And we should follow that 
and give in return to demonstrate our love for him. So this morning, I'm talking about giving. Giving. A topic that some of you may not enjoy quite so much. Give, 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 give. I mean, Josh talks about giving at the start of the year, and there's been talk recently about, well, if we're going to have a building programme, we're going to need more giving. Money's tight. It's December, the month we're most likely to go overdrawn. I can't afford to give any more, you might be thinking. But giving is what we need to do. Hopefully, I've got a video clip that's going to work in a minute, which is an advert from Nationwide. See if it works. Oh, I'm terrible with my money. I am. I'm absolutely terrible. Like, like I can't play Monopoly because it hits too close to home. <laughs> Honestly, because what it is is just going around London going, can't afford that, can't afford that. <laughs> I've got nothing in the bank and I can only dream of winning 50 quid in a beauty contest. (laughs) Don't know how many of you have seen that before. There's a whole series of them that Nationwide have done talking about how It's easier to save if you do it on the day you get paid. If you wait till the end of the month and try and save what you've got left, you'll get to the end of the month and realise you've got nothing left to save. You need to do it up front. Save at the start, day you get paid, that's the way to do it, and then spend what you've got left over. You don't necessarily have to go to quite the extreme that I do. Um, Some of you will know that I like my spreadsheets. I love playing with Excel. And um, I've taken this saving up front to um, about as far as I can take it because I have standing orders set up to pay money into various different pots and I have a spreadsheet to track all of this. So I have a pot for... Christmas presents that I give into all month, all year round, so that when it comes to Christmas, there's money there to pay for Christmas presents. And I've got a pot to pay for holidays. And I've got a pot to pay for going out. And I've got a pot for if the boiler breaks and, or we need electrical work. And I've got a pot for home insurance. And I've got a pot for the car. And I've got Loads and loads of pots. And at the start of the month, all these standing orders go off into saving all these. And I do me little graphs because i that's what I like to do. You don't have to go that far. But the principle of saving at the start rather than waiting to the end is a good practical tip. Now, if you are struggling with money, yes, I'm not a qualified debt counsellor. If you do have difficulties, there are organisations out there. Christians Against Poverty, CAP, um, are a great organisation that run across the country. Here in Coventry, um, they're run by HOPE, which is the Churches Together 
in Coventry who also do things like healing on the streets and the night shelter and the prayer house. And they run CAP courses and CAP counselling. And if you do need help with your finances, I do recommend getting in contact with someone like that. But the basic principle of saving at the start of the month makes sense. And that principle is just the same for giving. If you leave it till the end of the month, if you see what you've got left in your pocket to put in the collection plate, you won't have anything left. But it's not just about the practicalities of not having anything left. It's about the correct attitude. In our reading from Proverbs, it describes giving the first fruit of all your crops. The first fruit. Giving it first. With my little spreadsheet of all the different things that I have to save for, the first calculation calculates my tithe. I put in how much money I've got coming in, And it calculates 10% of that and allocates that to my tithe. All the other things come after that. Be it the nice things like holidays or the not so nice things like saving for a boiler. The tithe comes first. Human wisdom might say, well, surely you've got to pay your mortgage first. Surely you've got to pay your bills first. Surely you've got to put food on the table first. But no. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs teaches us. I trust in God that I can put the tithe first. He may make my barns overflow. He may not. But I trust that he will provide me with what that, what I need. It does mean there are some things that I can't afford. There are some things that I can't afford, like a holiday in the Bahamas. But I can't afford a holiday in the Bahamas because I don't earn enough money. That's easy. There are other things, though, that I could afford based on my salary, but I can't afford because I choose to give. In economics terms, it's called opportunity costs. And every time you spend your money on one thing, there are other things that you can't spend it on. I can't afford to go to the cinema as often as I would like to. As often as I would be able to afford to based on my salary if I didn't give. But I've made that choice. And I'm happy to make that choice. 
I'm mega joyed to make that choice. The 10% tithe is a good principle. And it's a starting point. Generally, it should be a minimum rather than a maximum. There are other things that Esther and I choose to give to on top of that 10%. But as a starting principle, it's a good place. But I would go further than that and suggest that if you're giving 10% and there aren't things that you can't afford to do because you're giving, then you can probably afford to give more. If you're not giving so much that there aren't things you can't do, you could be giving more. Of course, giving isn't just about money. We can give our time. We give our time to God in many ways. We choose to come to church on a Sunday morning. Of course, we could do something else with a Sunday morning. Opportunity cost. What is it that we're not doing because we're here? We're not having a lie-in. We're not out doing shopping. We're not doing various different things. But are we giving our time to God first? Are we coming to church because there's nothing else to do on a Sunday? Or do we just do something else on a Sunday because we've not got church to go to? And by the way, we'll always have church to go to. During the week, do we maybe read our Bibles because there's nothing on the telly that we want to watch? Or do we choose first to read our Bibles and then maybe watch a bit of telly afterwards? In the same way, do we give our first time to God? And what about our talents, our gifts and abilities? Do we give all of those to God? Do we give the best, the first of those? I'm standing up here speaking. In my younger days, I was quite into my politics and um, I could quite easily be standing up here talking politics. I could very happily stand up here and tell you all how you should be voting on Thursday and why you should be voting how you're voting on Thursday. But I made a decision some time ago that God has given me the ability to stand up here and speak and that I want to give that to him. And I want to talk about him and talk about his love for us and how we should react to that. Do we give all that we have? Do we give the best? Do we give the first? But it's more than just our money. It's more than just our time and our talent. In Romans 12, Paul wrote this. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do we give ourselves first and foremost to him? We should follow the three kings, the magi, whatever you want to call them, in our worship. We should worship him just for who he is, as well as giving him thanks for what he's done. And we should do that with all that we have, our money, our time and our talents. We should do that with our lives. We should give him our first. If there's anything left over, then we can take what is left over. And he loves us so much that he will let us do that. But we are his, and we should give him our first and our best, this Christmas and always. Amen.